Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. What do you think of this drawing of a uh, monster that I drew? You drew that? I thought, I thought like a child had drawn that. Well, but I mean, it's anatomically correct, so obviously I drew it. Oh, I thought that was a leg. Right. Coming to you almost live from the loft of a pretentious artist. This is the Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. We are your sketchy hosts. <laughs> Ooh, I like that one. I would have gone with pretentious. But that's just who I am. You are wearing a scarf. I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a douchebag scarf. Yeah. Uh, on, a, on an otherwise fairly mild day. My neck's cold, Scott. And uh, I, I don't know why. It's, it's a fashion statement, really, but uh, glad to be back in the studio again. Yes. We've got a great show. We'll be we chatting do. with uh, the fellow who made the Unknown Studios logo all those years ago. Yeah. Long overdue Yeah, uh, quid pro quo to I, have him on the show to talk about graphic design. I believe, you know, um, I'm pretty sure he did it for free. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was a hell of a guy. Yeah. We, um, we've decided to... Basically, make sure that when we finish the unknown studio at the end of the year, yeah, that we do so with a clear conscience. That's right, and with all debts repaid, and that includes finally having the El- man Eldon on the show. Yeah, yeah, the man who made our logo on the show. Uh, yeah, so you'll be hearing from him a little bit later on the show. But first, Scott and I are going to talk about you. About talk about you. Talk about you. Let's. How talk- are you? Are you look? You look unwell. Have you been? Like eating right? Have you have you been doing some exercise? Because getting enough sleep. Because it, it, we're worried about you a little bit. This is an intervention. Yeah, but it's not an intervention because you're listening to us long after the fact, <laughs> not in person. We we actually failed entirely to intervene, and now you're in crisis. And there are a few numbers you can call that we're not going to give you. Nope, because we are terrible friends. We're not that kind of show. No, uh, truly. But um, um, as we so often say on this show. We don't want to talk about the weather, but we should. Because it's Edmonton. And yeah, fall is actually in the air. Yeah, fall has just come out of nowhere. Like it, it, it just was all up in our faces all at once. Fall was like it's like, in our it's in our business. It, it was it was summer and everything was green, and then the next day it was cold and the trees were bare. Yeah, actually, you know what? That's not true. And I know that our listeners know that that's not true. This has felt like one of the longest fall seasons we've had. Um, kind of like I mean, a little. You know, there was there was a lot of yellow and red on the trees uh, that seemed to last for a little while longer, and it might just be because we haven't actually had a stiff breeze in well, a while. We've had a few windy days, but I mean, and this was kind of the case all through the summer too. We haven't had much in the way of weather this summer. It's true actually. Like it's most like we've had some cloud, we've had a little bit of wind, we've had some sun. Yeah. Not much else. There hasn't been a lot of rain this year. Nope. And uh I mean there was a little bit, but nothing remarkable. Yeah. Nothing worthy. Hence why the province is in drought. It's true. Um and I that's kind of also the case right now is that there's just not much weather to speak of. I know. I know. I'm worried that it's just going to fall. See what I did there? Fall forever. 
It's right. going to keep on falling right onto us. Yeah. Although this is supposed to be this is an El Nino year. That's so. also, but yeah, but they've been using El Nino as an excuse every year for the last like ten. It feels like every time they can't explain a weather phenomenon, they name it something in Spanish, and then they're just like, "That's I what's think, happening." I think they just call it El Nino. Yeah, like I remember the I remember the first time I heard the the term El Nino. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since then, it seems like every year they're just like, oh, well, it's El Nino. And it's <laughs> like, so basically it's just the weather now. It's not even El Nino. It's just the way the weather works. Yeah. That's, that's actually the way they're, act- the, the phrase they're using to describe climate change now. It's, it's El Nino. I mean, really, you know, I mean, that's the reason we had a long fall, climate change, El Nino. Say it with me, people. It's the same fucking thing. At least that's what I think. One of the things that comes with the change of the season, of course, is a, a new hockey season. That's right. Which is kind of exciting for the Oilers this for, year. For some. Yeah. Are you... Are you sorry. Some, some of us are not into the sports ball. Do you count yourself... Hockey uses a ball, right? So you're not really into hockey. I actually joined a hockey pool this year for oh, the which, first time. Is that right? Which one? Uh, well, I work. Oh, uh, cool. One of, uh, one of my coworkers threw together a hockey pool. Didn't have a draft because it would have been like herding cats yeah. to get everybody together, together. To, to do such a thing. So it was just like a, a one player per team. Uh, pick your X amount of forwards and defensemen and, and two goalies, and away we go. And then whoever has the most points at the end wins the pot. Cool. But I'd never done it before, and I'd always been interested because I see other people have fun doing it. Yeah. So I was like, I will join a hockey pool this year, and I will marginally pay attention to some <laughs> hockey. What's the value of the pot? Do you guys know yet? Uh, I don't know if I should disclose that. Oh, well, don't, don't tell us. It's, if you see Scott happily walking down the street in April – you know why, and you should you steal know his that, wallet. You know that his pick of Jordan Eberle from the Oilers, <laughs> who is out for six weeks with an injured shoulder, did not seriously impact his chances of winning the pot. Oh, that sucks. I, actually, I had the opportunity to change him, and I was like, uh, I could, but then I decided not to, because I'm like, hey, he's only out for six weeks. He's, he's a heal. And he's a good player. He is a good player. So... I, I entered a, a draft that Oilers Nation is doing through with, uh, I think it's Kentwood Ford, and so you get um, these little boxes, and I think each box had four or five players. So you pick one in each box, and one, <laughs> it was four players. And one of the boxes, you could only choose Connor McDavid. It said Connor McDavid four times, which seemed so Oilers Nation to me that it, it was perfect. Uh, I, I specifically did not pick McDavid uh, for my for my team. Obviously, I picked Jordan Eberle, and I can only pick one person per team. Right, so. right. Because um, I expected most everyone was going to pick him or Taylor Hall, and I was like, who else is good on the team? Jordan Eberle is good on the team. What if, God forbid, Connor McDavid should get injured? Well, then those people are SOL, and I have Jordan Eberle coming off the injured reserve. There we so. go. It's awesome. Uh, no, it, uh, it'll it be interesting. It, it actually gives you a reason, at least, to follow hockey a little bit. A little bit. Preseason's been going good for the Oilers, speaking they, of Connor McDavid. They have lost uh, only two games in the preseason. Out of? Out of one, two, three, at the four, time of eight. At the time of this recording. Well, no, actually, at the time of this recording, the preseason is finished. Their next game is October 8th, which is the day after this will be released. So And so... It's time to just actually play some real hockey with stakes. Yeah. They and actually don't use stakes. They use what's called a puck. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. The um, the preseason went well, but as I uh, was pointing out to you before we started recording, yeah, the Oilers did pretty okay in the preseason last year, too. They did. They didn't do quite as okay as they did this year, but you're right. They were fine. They were fine in the preseason last year, and then, oh boy, were they not during the regular season. It was an endless clusterfuck, actually. Yes. So hopefully things will go better this year. Yeah, and I th- I, There's a lot of optimism in the air. We mentioned this last 
episode as well. Absolutely. They, I mean, they, the team's done a few things that uh, they maybe wouldn't have done before. Like change their management. Yeah, and get rid of like some players or, or you know, put them on waivers uh, to, to shuffle things up a little bit. Um, the coach, uh, whose last name is, why the fuck can I remember? McClelland. Uh, he seems to be a real hard ass in a good way. Uh, like, what, you know what? That's good, though. This team has been lacking discipline. Exactly. And I think that that is not even something controversial that I'm saying. I think a lot of people in Edmonton feel that the team, like a lot of young hotshot players who've just been skating around because yep. they haven't had some like real leadership and some real discipline uh, instilled into them. And I think that that's something that was worked on maybe in the off season. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that might, that attitude change from the top down may be one of the things that kicks the team into gear. I agree. You know, Andrew Ference is the team captain and he can only do so much. You need that it's, coaching leadership. Especially when he was kidnapped by Mysterio. Yes. That puts him out for a while. And he had to be rescued by the young Spider Mabel. That's correct. Now, that was an unbelievable story. That was. And I know that um, a couple years ago, I think in 2013, Bat Kid in San Francisco uh, managed to save the day. Now, I spoke with the uh, Children's Wish Foundation yeah. for work. I work on the radio, and I talk to people. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, I spoke with them after the fact, because we wanted to to do a little uh, wrap-up with them and, and see how things went. And I actually asked them, had you reached out to the Bat Kid people to get some idea on what to do? And they did not. Really? They just, they just did their own thing from, from scratch, from the ground up. Very cool. And uh, worth noting as well, also got a huge bump in support, both donations and people volunteering their Good. time Good. to help out since the Spider-Mabel thing. Uh, because one of the benefits of doing such a big public event is that, I mean, it's not just good for the the child whose wish is being granted, but mm -hmm. it's also good for the foundation because it draws a lot of attention to them and the work that they do and the hard work that they put in to make these wishes come true for little kids yeah. who uh, are either terminally ill or grievously ill, mm -hmm. or uh, not even necessarily terminally ill, but have serious medical conditions that that drastically impact their quality of life. Yeah. So uh, you don't necessarily need to be a dying kid for the Children's Wish Foundation to step in. And uh, I'm just going to put it out there, they actually take referrals. So if you know a kid who maybe deserves to have their wish granted, yeah. you can reach out to them and uh, let them know. You know, there were only a few cynics online that talked about whether or not this was a good use of resources in general. Um, because, you know, they, they were speculating that, in fact, Spider Mabel might be to full recovery. Who cares? Yeah. To your the, point... She you know, actually, and actually, her prognosis is good. And that's great. excellent news. But she's been robbed of a childhood. Exactly. And so if she you, deserves to have a wish. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you know what it I mean selfishly it wasn't just something that was good for her. It was really amazing to watch the entire city rally behind this young girl going to save Andrew Ference from Mysterio. Well, and the city, the police, the Oilers were all like 100%. Yeah. Like let's do this. Let's make this happen. And I was so I was watching Global News had a live feed they were following uh, Spider Mabel around with. Um and the looks of glee on the reporters' faces was absolutely heartwarming. Those, those ink and tape-stained wretches, 
uh, it's nice to be able to report on something as good news as that. I mean, it can't all be um, terrible hockey teams and bad uh, decisions made by governments. And it's not. Uh, That's just me being, you know. But it's nice to have a top story one day that's just a really good feel-good story. Yeah, and and it it was amazing to watch not only journalists, but people online just talking about how I was just seeing so many people on like Facebook and Twitter be like, well, I'm in tears again because this is so touching. Now, this is the first time something like this has happened in Edmonton. On this scale, absolutely. On this scale. Yeah. So the question then becomes, now that a lot of other kids who maybe are ill and maybe do have a wish coming up, were inspired by that. Hmm. If one of them wants to have a day as a superhero, will the fanfare from the city be quite as significant as it was for Spider-Man? You know, that's... Because it's... You know, those those kids deserve to have their wish, too. And if their wish is to be a superhero for a day, they absolutely should be able to do that. Yeah. But will the reaction from the city still be, yeah, you go, kid, or will it just be like, ho-hum, another superhero day? It's hard to say. I mean, my hope would be that it's a kid having their wish granted, having a great day. Everyone should just be able to rally behind that. But the cynic in me would suspect that, in fact... The novelty would eventually wear yeah, off. Yeah, unless it was, um, I don't know, Maybe a DC character. So I, like, really, I don't know. Is the scenario, could the scenario be that much more different? Well, because I asked the the Children's Wish Foundation about that. And it's not the Make-A-Wish Foundation. That's, I believe, the state's is Make-A-Wish. There is, there is Make-A-Wish in, it's possible. in Edmonton, but they're a different organization. Yeah, the, the organization this, that did this one was the Children's Wish Foundation. Right. Um, they, I did ask, are you expecting more superhero quests in the future? And they were like, maybe, we don't know, because every wish is unique to the kid. And not every kid or family wants to have a big public spectacle. That's right. Or or have the sh- uh, the spotlight shone on them. So, I mean, some of them, I've got a, I've got a friend who works for a not-for-profit that does these kinds of things. And as I recall, one of her clients' wishes was to meet Justin Bieber. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it, and that, I mean, those things wind up being public anyway, and I think part of the reason they do is not only because they're interesting, but um, they actually help the organizations, to your point, get more volunteers, get more donations, and that stuff's important. Um, But they don't all have to be that public. But what I think is, like, what it represented, you know, it represents a community rallying behind someone who needs the community to rally behind them. Absolutely agree with that. And I don't think we should be cynics about that even if a, a kid had a wish very similar to spider mabel's wish and i mean even if another kid said i want to be i want to be spider-man sidekick for a day yeah. again it would be a different event yeah like they they would not just copy paste spider mabel's thing no you, you there's so many villains in the in the marvel universe oh spider-man is lousy with villains yeah he is so. yeah it could be i mean i'd love to see vulture up there <laughs> for sure um but it was really cool to see uh the mayor seemed so excited to be part of this. And I I was astonished when uh, Spider-Mabel made it to the zoo where Andrew Ference was being kept by Mysterio, how much Andrew Ference played up his role as the kidnappee. It was it was amazing. Someone actually pointed out that it was interesting that he was wearing his full Oilers gear. <laughs> including including skates. skates. And how impractical that seemed. And I was like, well, number one, obviously he was he was kidnapped directly from training camp. So yeah. he didn't have time to change. For sure. Number two, would a six-year-old girl have known who Andrew Ferentz was outside of the context of him dressed as an Edmonton Oiler? Probably not. Like it just, it, it's such an iconic 
like it's it's the sports jersey. Yeah. It's the skates. He's obviously a hockey player with the Oilers. You have all of that context. So now you know who Andrew Ference is. Yeah. Plus imagine that this was actually a story that was drawn in a comic book. He absolutely would have been dressed in his Oilers gear. No question. Gear. No yeah. question. So it was just a it was astonishing to watch. Uh, a lot of fun, and and it was neat to see uh, the day after even Spider Mabel did media appearances. Yes, and talked about her experience. That little girl must be exhausted. Uh, she was exhausted when she was in the radio station. Really? Oh, that's At, right. She did Jesperson. She did show. Jesperson. She was, I want to say, there a little after ten. And apparently she'd been just all around town at various media organizations all morning, and she was a little cranky. Yeah, I can. She was imagine, a little. So. She was tired, and she was just like kind of. Kind of done. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I couldn't even do that. Yeah, first of all, I couldn't exhausting. be, I couldn't be Spider Man's sidekick for a whole. Let's day. be fair, Spider Man was her sidekick. Sorry, for that's the day. true. That's because absolutely true. This is her town. Spider Man from New York needed her expertise to get them around. You know, Edmonton needs another kind of hero, the kind of hero that ends unlawful yard sales. Uh, just to switch gears. Now, yes, that's been going on for a while. Can you fucking believe this? Like this. Why don't you should give a little context? So, Not everybody might know what you're talking about. So this this guy who lives in the McKernan neighborhood um, has had a yard sale up there since the summertime. I think yeah. since July or August, like, at least three months. Yeah, and so he basically effectively has all this junk sitting out on his yard, and you can see it along um, I think 89th Avenue. Yep, uh, it's all there on the uh, east side of the street. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Something like that. Um, anyway, no. If you drive along the route that the LRT takes, you'll see it on the east side of the street. Yeah. So so this has been going on for a long time. The community considers it an eyesore. And they're furious with this guy, whose name, by the way, is Matthew Peter. Two I... first names. Okay. That's, that's a sign of villainy. Are you sure? I'm almost certain. Wait, no, Bruce Wayne. Never mind. Yeah. It doesn't work. But um, yeah, so this guy now, you know. And Clark Kent. <laughs> it's weird. This guy is the worst. Barry Allen. Okay, now we're done. <laughs> now we're done talking about two first names. <laughs> anyway, uh, neighbors furious with him. Uh, the city applied for a court injunction, and and that was September 15th. Yeah. And they're still waiting for a judgment. Well, because the court's are busy. Sure, no question. And this isn't like life, uh, this isn't a crisis of the sort that no. courts get off their duffs to solve. But it is it is a problem. A massive the, And it's causing a problem in the community. It's causing a public disturbance. Yeah. And it is not great. And it's against the rules because, of course, the city rules are that you can have a yard sale. Yeah. But only for a few days. Yeah. In fact, their guidelines... So here's... This is the confusing part. So this guy, uh, Peter Matthew is... Or Matthew Peter or whatever the... Matthew Peter, apologies, is saying that there aren't actually... There isn't an actual bylaw that states that it must end at a certain point. There are guidelines that say a garage sale should only last three days, no more than three days. What the city doesn't do anymore, as I was sort of exploring the website, is issue licenses for garage sales. They used to do that. Well, and I think one of the reasons they don't anymore is because it's time-consuming. Yeah, I mean, logistically, you need a staff to issue those licenses. But I, I, as I understand it, the problem is there's a gray area in the bylaw, according to this guy, that said that doesn't the bylaw doesn't actually state that you must end your yard sale by a certain date. So... Um, now, that's what he says. The city says, 
We're taking him to court. We know it's a guideline, but we're confident that the judge will agree with us that this is ridiculous. What happens if they don't? Then the city changes the bylaws. So it must go through council, through a series of council meetings. Yep. And I would imagine the yard sale remains up in that time. Probably. Until one of the members of the community has enough and burns down his house. Well, so that's the other thing. When at, one po- at what point do you predict, if at all, will there be some kind of vigilante response? Well, I would hope, f- I would hope never, because yeah. vigilantism is illegal. Yeah. Um, but the community is really upset about this. Sure. Like, really upset. Well, and it is an eyesore. If you've driven past there, it, it looks awful. Yeah. It's gross. Kind of. And no one agreed to move in uh, next to a business if that is, in fact, what it is. And if that is, in fact, what it is, he doesn't have the right license for it. But anyway, um, what I, my secret hope, without anyone getting hurt, is that a crew shows up one night in, in the dark of night, takes all of his stuff and puts it in a truck and leaves. Now, I would like to just clarify that we, the Unknown Studio, and certainly I, Scott of the Unknown Studio, do not advocate or suggest that you do any such thing. I do not advocate or suggest that either, but wouldn't it be interesting? <laughs> yeah, no, that would be such a pain to have this in your neighborhood. And I, I hope that it does get resolved with relative speed. Like, on the one hand, I know that there are many people who deliberately um, draw attention to... Uh, lapses in in the law, especially municipal law. Sure. By doing something that probably is, probably should be against the law, but technically isn't to draw attention to it. Right. Or do something that is explicitly to the letter of the law to show how ridiculous it is yeah. to draw attention to it's it. It's not unlike when a hacker hacks a website after trying to convince the website owner that it could be hacked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and there is there is a place for that and and great but on the other hand there's also there's a fine line to the point where you're just being a terrible neighbor yeah and that's kind of where this is at the moment like even if the guy is like well this is a gray area that should be addressed but you've pissed off all of your neighbors he hasn't all made of them any friends and like that's not that's not great. No. Like, you don't want to live next to a jerk. No. So why would you be a jerk to your neighbor? It would be very interesting to uh, to figure this fellow out and see what he's actually up to. Um, because part of me feels like there's got to be more to this story than, than what we're hearing in the news. The problem is he has not been forthcoming to the media. So when media requests interviews with him, he probably just turns them he down. He is not interested at all in telling his side of the story. Uh, the only people who anybody has been able to talk to are his neighbors. Yeah. So we only know their side of the story. Well, but their side of the story seems to be like what's going on. Yeah. Because if he had been forthcoming with any of his neighbors, one of them presumably would be like, oh, well, this is what this guy is doing. Yeah. But no one knows. But no one knows. And he's, yeah, so... There you go. Ridiculous. Well, there are two sides to every story, and, and there we're th- just never going to find out one of the sides to this. That 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 one. This one's a mystery. There, there are also a few sides to the story of Mohammed Fami. The uh, Canadian, that's quite a segue. Can, well, why not? The Canadian-born journalist who was uh, reporting for Al Jazeera in Egypt and was detained for at least a year and some. Yeah, a and couple was, years was just recently released. He uh, he and some colleagues were accused of essentially abetting terrorism. Yeah. Um, By reporting the news. Yes. They were they were accused of 
basically being mouthpieces for the Muslim Brotherhood. Right. Um, which which was sketchy, a sketchy charge at best and, and blatantly false at worst. Yes. And they were put through kind of a kangaroo court and uh, they appealed the uh, the decision and there was a lot of hope that the appeals process would be successful and exonerate them because of course these were trumped up charges for sure and then the appeal failed to do so and they were put back in jail and everyone was really upset especially because as he is a Canadian mm-hmm. um, the Canadian government didn't seem to be doing very much to help him not only was he, he was he Canadian he used to be a dual citizen. Yeah. But he renounced his Egyptian citizenship in order to try and get back to Canada. Yeah. And it didn't do anything for him. Uh, ultimately, he was freed because he received a presidential pardon. That's and right. I mean, it wasn't like him specifically, him and the two journalists he was detained with, and I want to say 97 other people. Like, sure. it was just, the president just exonerated a whole bunch of people who were probably all falsely imprisoned over crazy trumped-up charges yeah. and such. And uh, the presidency... Uh, um, this is not his exact quote, but more or less what he said was uh, he understood in many of these cases that these people were being tried unjustly, but he had to let the court, he had to let the the wheels of justice spin. go all the way, yeah. spin as it were. He had to wait for the courts to resolve it before he could step in. Sure. And then when he could, he just was like, no, they're all free. Now, the big issue with this with this particular case is that... When he was released, the conservative government um, declared that they had been very helpful in securing his release. Something that he vehemently disagrees yes. with. Yes. In fact, on an episode of Canada Land that you should listen to, CanadaLandShow.com, um, he talks about how really the reason that he was let out of jail is because of the outstanding work of his uh, of his lawyer, Amal Clooney, who's a well-known human rights lawyer. That is correct. And, and did most of she, you said... Her, her husband... Uh, you may have heard of him, George Clooney. Yes, yeah, an actor. He's done some but, things. But uh, the more famous and more recognizable of the two really should be Amal because she is an amazing human being Whoa, who's got uh, a tremendous track record of uh, great things that she's done. And she is a human rights lawyer. Yeah. And George Clooney could not have picked a more amazing woman to become the Mr. Amal Clooney to. Yeah, absolutely. And so she helped him get out of jail. Uh, the conservative government has claimed some responsibility for that victory, and then he gets on the Canada Land show and says, absolutely not. In fact, what I, what I thought was really interesting about this show, he was so irritated by the response of the federal government that he said he will be uh, rallying with uh, the NDP and the liberals on the campaign trail. So yeah, Both of them. Yeah. Because they're not the conservatives. Because they're not the conservatives. So uh, it's that's, interesting to see. That's a thing. That's totally a thing. You know what else is a thing? What else is a thing? Our guest is a thing. And he's, he's practically walking in the door. He's also a person. And so we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk with our guest, Eldon Kimson. Uh, we're very fortunate today to have... Uh, a, a long overdue guest. A special man. Yeah. Who's who's special in so many bizarre and fantastical <laughs> ways. Uh, Eldon Kimson is here. He's the creative director at Habit. And he also, like seven years ago, designed the Unknown Studios logo. Yeah, it's been a long time. 
It has been a long time. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Finally. We're so pleased that you're here. Yeah. Finally. I kind of wish uh, we had this interview about six or seven years ago because I might have a hard time recalling what uh, <laughs> what, everything, what what happened a long time ago. So, so what did happen a long time? I mean, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, we when we uh, decided to do the show, mm-hmm. we asked for help on naming it, and we got that from Daryl Hook. Yep who uh, served us quite well. And then we he just... Pitched, he pitched quite a few names. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, he couldn't lose. No. He pitched so many. That's right. And uh, and so then we came to you and said, we're doing a podcast, and you seemed excited about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, um, and then you said... Uh, or then we said, design a logo for us. Yeah. Do you, the one preferably better than the one that Adam had cobbled together on MS Paint. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know where I got that copy of MS Paint. <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember you showing us two. Do you remember? Do you happen I, to remember it all? You know what? I, in preparation for this, I I tried to scrounge back uh, to the old working files that I had from, I think two thousand, well, whatever it was. I think last modified was two thousand ten or something like that. Um, I actually don't remember the second concept. I'm, I'm going to see if I still have a copy of it here. Yeah, but I uh, I do remember. I I did look at some of the original concepts and i probably should have brought them to show you but uh the ones we never saw the you ones mean? you never saw the unknown unknown studio <laughs> logos the logos that didn't even make the cut to get pitched I, I don't think i have it anymore yeah it's it's been a long time yeah yeah but i mean was that a hard like what you remember of it was that a hard assignment trying to come up with because the name we've talked about this a little bit the name is confusing in some ways because mm. How do you develop a logo for something called the Unknown Studio? Yeah, I don't know if I'm remembering things correctly or not, but I, I think there you guys were a, a couple episodes in before the logo actually showed its face. Maybe I, I'm wrong about that. I think that's true. Yep. But I think um, I remember listening to, to those episodes to get a feel of, you know, what I should be doing for this concept. And, you know, you introduce yourselves in, in some sort of, odd place and time perhaps and uh i think that's uh that's actually what got me pretty excited about this concept because um it was unknown really the you know the sky was the limit i could pretty much go anywhere do anything with it so you're just like rubbing your hands together (laughs) i can't fail (laughs) i'm gonna screw them so bad (laughs) well i think we were pretty happy with it we we gravitated toward one right away yeah the question mark the red it was it was simple but elegant. Yeah. Now that was six years ago. You've yeah. done a lot of shit in between now and then. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah, like you. When I first met you, so Eldon and I used to work together mm-hmm. at Ignition Media, which turned tur- my life. Yeah, of course. <laughs> which turned into Habit, and back then, Ignition was like four blocks away from Ched, so uh, we were all neighbors, yeah. and and we used to record at the Ched Studios. Actually, that is correct. Oh, we cool. were given. I suppose this is this is a fair point to once again thank uh, the station for letting us use their equipment until we procured our own for like a pretty long time too. Yeah, we uh, I think pretty much the entire first season. Yeah, definitely, and it served as well. But uh, a lot's happened with you between now and then. When I first met you, I think you were your title was graphic designer. Yeah, that was uh, um, it was really exciting to get started on this particular project because yeah i guess at the time i was somewhat green Mm -hmm. um so yeah the the opportunity to jump at any kind of logo design uh was pretty special 
Um, so yeah. Is is logo design pretty rare in in a market like Edmonton? Like, do you are there a lot of opportunities to develop brands for products or companies? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think there's um, there's tons of new businesses, you know, coming to our door anyway, well, almost every day. Sometimes. Really. Um, yeah, I mean, there's. Oh, geez. Uh, between the Unknown Studio and now, just myself personally, probably, you know, I've designed, I don't know, 50, I, 60 logos maybe. Oh, God. I, well, that's, that's just me personally. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm pretty hands-off these days with actual logo design, whereas now I've got a team to contribute to that as well. So... Yeah. Now I don't I don't know what exactly goes into graphic design because I'm not a graphic designer, uh, nor do I work with them. You mentioned that you were quite pleased that you had kind of a carte blanche coming up with our logo. Do mm-hmm. you often, when you're doing a graphic design uh, job yeah. for someone, I, I was looking for a better word than project. <laughs> project. That's what I was looking for. When you're when you're given a project. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you usually have a lot of very specific instructions? It really varies from from client to client. Um, some clients will have very specific direction, and I typically tell them to s- no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So some clients will have really specific directions, and then sometimes there will be instances like like you guys where it's. You know, maybe you don't really know what you don't know, and and there's there's any kind of any kind of concept could come to mind, really, and and uh, yeah, uh, it's all it's a, it's a wide gamut for sure. Do you like uh, operating with some constraint? Because I hear you know a lot of designers feel like they need to know what the shape and size of the sandbox they're playing in is. Yeah, definitely. I think when I first started. You know, even with the Unknown Studio or other other projects, uh, you know, seven eight years ago, uh, it was it was I wanted to hear that I had no limits, but now that actually scares the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think uh, I think I've learned a lot more about the design process uh, to this day. So yeah, you got to do a lot of more. You got to do a lot more homework, research. Um, you know, figure out exactly who the client is, what they want to look like, what they're trying to say, um, you know, what's important to them, what's their business about. Um, so yeah, you want to, you know, if, if the client doesn't give you constraints, you want to, you want to create them for yourself. Oh, I see. Okay. So tell us a little, I mean, you mentioned, you know, doing research and and that sort of thing, but Mm -hmm. tell us about the kind of process you do go through when someone comes to you with a logo design or they want something done and the parameters, you have to create your own parameters. How do you go about doing that? Well, I think kind of like I mentioned, the first step is really that, that research and spending some time with the client, their business um, organization. It may not necessarily be a business, but um, yeah, you kind of have to dig pretty deep and, and figure out what exactly they are trying to communicate. Because really, when it comes down to logo design, it's to me one of the hardest things to do. Really? Uh, yeah, because well, first of all, you're you're in a uh, I guess in a realm where more and more logos are created every single day. Right. So that gets tougher. And there's really no great way of comparing your concept to all the logos out there in the world to see, you know, have I 
created something by mistake that's exactly the same as someone else. <laughs> Has um, that actually ever happened to you? Uh, not to date. Okay. Um, definitely, you know, a lot of logos you can see out there are similar to others. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, even like the, the Tokyo Olympics, you guys might have heard about that. I'm not sure. but uh, I don't remember. Basically, the, the, the designer who... Uh, created the logo for for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. He had to uh, basically the, the the committee had to withdraw the logo because it ended up being very similar to some I think French theater, oh, and no. they and they called him out on it. Um, I don't think he was uh, necessarily plagiarizing. No, just I, a similar concept. I really don't think so. Um, but huge controversy. They had to pull out the logo, and it was just it's. So that, that that's probably one of my greatest fears. Yeah, um, you know, coming across something like that. Well, and another difficulty I would assume in creating a logo is it, it's exactly like you said. You're trying to communicate a lot with an image. Yeah, and maybe a name, yeah. and you want that to be strong enough to convey meaning to yeah, people. For like, sure, there's a reason we still use stop signs because they're effective. Yeah, at yeah getting people to slow down. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, definitely. You, you want to say, you want to convey a lot of information in, in a very simplistic mark, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's just like being a writer, for example. It's easy to blab on for pages and pages, but to get across an idea in just a paragraph is much more challenging. So it's, it's kind of, this, you know, similar. At least that's what my copywriter tells me. <laughs> <laughs> so if you develop a concept for a logo... Do, like I've I've been in a few of these presentations with with art directors and designers, mm -hmm. where they will tell you details about the logo you'd never you never would have seen if it hadn't been pointed out to you. Do do are clients generally speaking warm to that idea, or do they think it's all a bunch of bullshit? You know, like do they just think you're like some weird artist? <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> um, I think those are those those bits are extras, right? I mean, typically when I'm going through logo design, there's 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 one primary idea that you want everybody to get. Um, so, for example, in the unknown studio logo, it's the question mark, and you don't want to deviate too far from that. If you yeah. start putting a lot of these ideas, or you know, trying to visually explain more than one concept in a logo, then uh, it becomes unclear. Right. So if there's, you know, some secondary ideas um, or hidden meanings in the logo, that's great. And I think that that um, oftentimes that can mean something special to the client, but it's not necessarily uh, what means the most. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, now, I know that you're uh, very fond of Japan. No. Yes. <laughs> so Eldon is, is freaky about Japan. <laughs> Uh, he, he married a Japanese woman yeah. and, uh, and you've, you've spent time living there. No, S sort, sort of. of. Not, not, you know, visiting there a lot. Sure. Yeah. So, so all combined, yeah, I've lived there a little bit. <laughs> and, and throughout your life, your family hosted Japanese students yeah. who came to, so tell me about, are there any ways in which Japanese culture has influenced the way that you look at design? Um, maybe a little bit. Um, some of the things that I've found in Japan is there's a lot of, there's a lot of design and there's a lot of architecture that's very minimalist. You've probably seen, you know, the, the white walls and the wood beams in, in these, you know, sort of super modern houses. Yeah. Um, that I always gravitate towards. 
Um, but at the same time, I guess, kind of going against myself, you know, <laughs> if you've ever stood on uh, a train in Tokyo, the walls of the inside of the train are lined with busy advertisements with all the copy you could possibly imagine. Um, so I guess it's it's not a whole lot different from from here in that regard. There's uh, there's you know there's busy design, there's clean design. Um, although I'll say this, some in some cases it's helped me. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, while having a Japanese wife and and knowing a little a little bit about the the culture there, um, and a little little bit about the language, uh, like I've had a. Uh, one of our clients is is Kyoto Japanese cuisine just across the road over oh, here. Oh yeah, yeah. And so to, going through the the menu design for them and uh, all of their all of their work, yeah, that definitely helped me out, right? Because I'm able to uh, recognize menu items and I'm able to recognize con- you know the concept behind um, a Japanese restaurant and and what I can I can contribute uh, in that way. I, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that's actually an interesting thing to bring up when a lot of people think of graphic design they probably don't consider a restaurant's menu as something that you would go to a graphic designer for what are what are some of the other things that uh people might seek you out to uh to get designed for them oh beyond a beyond a restaurant and a a logo oh um I, i guess it really depends on the industry and it depends on uh the, the client themselves. Um, it can go from menu design in a restaurant to, uh, you know, the way a logo is is executed on the side of a building to business cards to letterheads to billboards to magazine ads to pretty much anything that you might see or touch um, that is man-made. Um, basically, our clients will come to us for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's re- really there's there's a never-ending list of, of stuff. <laughs> well, and when I think about advertising, I, certainly my experience has been that typically it is the it is media formats, right? Like it's mm-hmm. you're not um, you're not often developing products. Do you know what I mean? But you've had the opportunity to do some pretty interesting work with some of your clients that that have even involved package design. Yeah, which uh, is which is I think in the Edmonton market yeah. actually pretty unusual. That, yeah, I would say that's that's not a common type of project for us. Um, it is really exciting when you when you get to work with that stuff. We we live in this digital world, and even you know I, I haven't been uh, a designer for too long. You know, relative to you have though. Well, I, you know when I'm talking about like you know, Mad Men from the 60s. Oh, like, sure. And the, that era was all print, right? There was no such thing as Facebook. There was no such thing as the internet. Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely changed. There's been a huge shift towards the digital medium. Um, so when you get to work on things like, you know, packaging design, that's exciting. Uh, it's such a departure, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What and is a whole set of other principles too in terms of how you approach it. I was going to ask what what's the most unusual thing you've been asked to design? Oh, unusual. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I uh, maybe not unusual, but uh, I can I can tell you of an uncomfortable one. Oh yeah, let's hear <laughs> let's hear that. Uh, I was once asked uh, 
early on in my career, I think really shortly after I got out of school, um, someone that I knew but I didn't know was uh, actually running an escort service asked me to design their website and their logo and everything like that. And I turned that away pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really want that to be one of my early projects. So Um, here's my resume. This is the (laughs) escort site that I put together. Yeah, Yeah. that'd be an interesting one to have in your portfolio. Yeah, for sure. sure. So that one was a little tricky. (laughs) So yeah, I steered clear of that. Um, What what are some of the favorite things you've done over your very long career? Because frankly, I mean, we've known each other for almost seven years. Yeah. And you yeah. were designing two years before that. Like you were out of yeah. school a couple of years before that. Yeah. yeah. So almost a 10-year career, Eldon. I don't know if yeah. you've really looked back. Oh, God, it's scary. <laughs> yeah. It's, that, that is, that's 10 years crept up pretty fast. No kidding. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite projects that you've worked on just off the top oh, of your head? Off the top of my head. I've got the memory of a fish. Um, actually, a recent project that uh, I just completed excuse me, was the uh, um, the web design for Ronald McDonald House, Northern Alberta. Mm. So that was a really fun one. That was, uh, mm. I mean, great cause, great people. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's the, it's the projects that I find, you know, personally gratifying yeah. are the ones that, uh, that I remember the most, and that was definitely one of them. Um, I I always had an idea of what Ronald McDonald House was, mm-hmm. um, but not to its fullest extent. So after that project, you know, I definitely it definitely opened my eyes. Um, so that that was a good one for me. Did you guys have the chance to actually uh, cook for them at all? Like use uh, the kitchen? Haven't done that yet. You I'm a better do- I'm a better designer than I am a cook, so I'm a little <laughs> afraid. <laughs> it's a great experience. I've done it once mm. with with Calder Bateman. Yep. We spent an afternoon making uh, tacos for. Uh, for the families that are staying there, for those okay. of you who don't know, it's a place where uh, families come uh, and stay so that their children can receive medical treatment at like the U of A hospital or whatever. And the, the house looks after everything for them from their food to their where they sleep. and every, It's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's a really incredible organization. Yeah, it, it is really great. Um, so I was really fortunate to be a part of that project. Yeah. Um, Another one that always kind of brings me back is one of the very first logo designs that I ever did was for Packrat Louie. You're kidding. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so the logo's still there. Yeah. And uh, that, w- that one definitely, I was, I was pretty young, and uh, that was my, one of my earlier cracks at a logo. And I think it, it, you know, it still stands fairly well. Um, and, yeah, I kind of crapped my pants when I, you know, first saw it, you know, on on their menu and on their, you know, that was really when I saw something that I had created come to life and, you know, be be interacted with 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 Edmonton. Well, so. and they they have like external signage and stuff. So yeah. So you the work that you and people like you do actually changes the landscape, which you know you don't really you don't have to think about it in those terms. It's true. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. That, you you've literally put a stamp yeah, on the city. Sure. Yeah. It's you, exciting. You yeah. should always find a way to work your name into it somehow, like the design <laughs> so that it says Eldon Kimson <laughs> some sort was of here. East, some <laughs> yeah. sort of Easter egg. Yeah, you're yeah. like you could be like the Banksy of advertising, which actually I think Banksy would hate <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. 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 Do you uh, do you ever find uh, when you're approached for a project Mm-hmm. And you're you're given kind of your parameters, mm-hmm. not necessarily like a whole lot of this is exactly what we want, 
But have you ever had uh, someone come in and give you a project and they have a very specific idea in mind and it's not at all what they wanted? Yeah, that's definitely happened before. Um, so I think it. I think it's like any other profession. You, there's a little bit of an educational aspect to it, right? Yeah. Because um, you don't want to be an order taker, right? You you want to develop the best possible product for your client. Yeah, for, uh, absolutely. Uh, and I don't really ever see it as order taking, right? Um, it's the client has a vision of some kind, right? And and your job is to really figure out what they want and then give them what they need. Hmm. Um, and it usually ends up working at the end of the day um, because oftentimes you'll show them something, a concept or an idea that they had never thought of before or it's a translation of what they did have in mind and, you know, lots of times it'll just blow them away. You, so. know, you know what? I just thought of this because... Uh, Rachel, my my partner, watches a lot of um, HGTV, so renovation shows, uh, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Why isn't there a show about a designer working with a client to develop a logo or a product package or something like that? Probably because there's a lot of screaming, a lot. Of- <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what those shows want. Yeah, is a lot of that's screaming. True. That's I how guess you so sell that television. No, there's actually not much screaming at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be well. There was um, that, there was a, a show, an advertising yeah, an advertising pitch show, the right? pitch yeah, that's what it was called. Was yeah. that any good? I never watched it. Um, I felt like Mad Men was truer to reality. <laughs> totally. As yeah. I, I yeah. tell people, there's actually you know five ounces of whiskey in this coffee right <laughs> yeah. now. Mm. I actually tell people that uh, work is exactly like Mad Men, except there's no <laughs> smoking and no drinking. <laughs> Just as sexist, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of ass tapping, and, yeah. and but you know what? It happens across genders, <laughs> and that's and that's really so. Important. In a way, equality has been achieved. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and everything I've just said is a total lie. <laughs> um, have you ever had any any projects where you've you've presented something to a client, mm. and it has just been totally off the mark? Totally off. Um, not, not too many times. That's good. Yeah. I. Uh, I feel like I'm a little bit lucky that way. Um, yeah, I, I've n- I, I can't really recall any project where I've had a client come back and say, this is absolutely wrong. You've completely missed the mark. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> I'm sure that day is coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's uh, the good news. You're, you manage people now. Yeah. So you're not actually, you're not actually drawing anything. Well, but I but I am pitching it, and I'm and I'm and on the receiving end. <laughs> what has that transition been like? Going from being someone who's very hands on, who who uses the tools, yeah. to to managing a team of designers and trying to inspire them, I guess, to do the best work they can. Yeah, it was. Um, I guess I uh, I was given the official title of creative director probably. Oh, I don't know, three or four years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely a hard transition at first because as a designer, you're you're very hands-on and you want to do everything yourself. Um, so, and, you know, all, all the ideas that you have are in your mind and you, they just flow right out of your hand onto a, onto a piece of paper or, you know, onto a computer. But to be able to... Uh, communicate those same ideas to someone else who has a different skill set, who has a different, you know, series of ideas. That that that, that was really tough at first, um, but I think I've I've gotten a lot better at it, and 
Um, it's, it is really cool to see how other designers translate the ideas that you have. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a game of telephone. For sure. And then, you know, there's been probably more times than I can count when the, you know, the designer that I'm working with comes back with an idea that's even better than, than I thought of. And that's, that's exciting because, you know, to be able to, uh, communicate and inspire somebody else to come up with something fantastic is is really cool yeah now um edmonton is a an rfp town in in a lot of ways um businesses the governments uh both provincial and local will put up requests for a proposal Mm -hmm. to to win business but i actually don't remember ever once doing an rfp when i was working with you for, I mean, I was only there for a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. But but we never really did RFPs. No, and and to be honest, we still don't really tackle all that many. Uh, a lot of our businesses word of mouth. Um, it's it's and, it's and your boss going out and hustling. That that too for sure. <laughs> yeah, and it's. Uh, you know, we're getting more walk-ins, and by walk-ins, I mean emails. <laughs> like people <laughs> off the street, just like their their yeah. clothing is tattered, and they're like, "I really just need a logo. Yeah. Just It'll change you. everything. It'll change. My life will turn around if yeah. they know that I'm Adam Rosenhart, <laughs> homeless guy. Yeah. yeah, more homeless people would probably get uh, better reception on the streets if they had stronger branding. I think. Yeah, and the RFP process is so weird to me. I mean, we do we do quite a bit of it at work because mm-hmm. we work with a lot of government clients, yeah. and that's just the nature of the way that they acquire mm. or that they work with agencies. Yeah. So I remember one RFP that we worked on uh, to win the business for the Jurassic Forest branding, which is mm-hmm. the the park out by Gibbons. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you remember this, but we thought we needed to do something. Beyond creating a document that said, here's what we're going to do for you. Oh, I remember. To impress them. (laughs) So we sourced um, a chocolatier in in Edmonton Mm -hmm. to create a giant thing of dinosaur shit for us. (laughs) And so we we sent along with the RFP this box of dino poo, which was just a big mound of chocolate. Yeah. I do remember that now. And I feel like uh, that's what won us the business. Uh, it definitely made them laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Now, one of your recent projects uh, is a big one um, called yegishome.ca. Mm-hmm. And actually, Yegishome was created by you guys along with the Re- Edmonton Realtors Association. Yeah. And they sponsored the Yegis a couple years ago. Yeah, that's right. That is one of the most complicated websites I have ever seen. Yeah, for sure. How uh, long did that take? That was uh, about a year and a half in the making. Oh, my Lord. Um, yeah, in terms of complications, it's all the data that's uh, driven into that website and then displayed in some way that's really easy for people to absorb. Yeah, that, that, was, that was the biggest challenge. So to be honest, I can't take a lot of credit there. Um, I made the website you know, look the way it does, and, and my team as well, of course. Um, but really, it's it's the development side that really made all that happen. It and was, and you guys have that in house. Yeah, yeah, we do. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it definitely makes it easy to be able to um, just walk across the room and talk to someone who understands things that you couldn't possibly know <laughs> and tell you there's no way it's possible to do that. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, what do you think is next in your career? Oh, I don't know. Um, so far, I'm pretty, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying what we're doing right now. 
we're we're getting the opportunities to work on bigger and bigger brands. Um, it's funny that we started talking about logo design, but really that's just one very small piece of the puzzle, right? So, yeah. Um, what I get excited about is is helping businesses build their brand, right? You know, a logo is one piece of that, but um, there's a whole lot of other moving parts that you know we can contribute to uh, to a brand that will gain people's you know gain that gain business for that company. Yeah. So. Um, well, yeah, I'm. I, I gotta say, I'm pretty content at what I'm doing right now. I don't really know what the what the next step is. Cool. Well, I mean, your work helped to illuminate the unknown studio for people. <laughs> I think, in some way. I hope so. And so, it's, it's really great to have you on the show to ask you a bunch of questions and then thank you for that. <laughs> but we're not finally. done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, finally, it's long overdue. Yeah. God. <laughs> the check is in the mail. Uh, but but we do have more questions for you. Yeah. Well, one thing that has long been a tradition and, and one that we will continue mm-hmm. well into this, our final season. Yes. But we're not able to do in the first episode. Because we didn't have a guest. Is the Fast 15. That is correct. Now, oh, man. I know you listen to the show. Yeah. So I know you know what this is. I do. But for those of you who don't, in the Fast 15, we ask 15 questions of all of our guests. The first 13 are the same for every guest. The last two are tailored for your interests. Are you ready for the Fast 15, Eldon Kimson? I hope so. Okay, here we go. Number one, your favorite food? Green. Mac, PC, or Linux? Mac. Dogs or cats? Definitely dogs. Christmas? Favorite sport? Uh, Soccer. Favorite pastime? Reading design magazines, as lame as that is. <laughs> <laughs> favorite show to binge watch on? Thrones. Uh, favorite movie? Oh, that's that's a tough one. Really? Yeah. He just loves when he drinks from the wrong cup. Mm-hmm. Then his hair grows. Uh, being a soccer fan, probably FIFA. Nice. <laughs> if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Hmm. To read a client's make a lot of money doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Something you've designed okay. or not. All right. What is your favorite logo? Oh, I knew. Um, favorite logo. It's kind of unfair. It's a tough one. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of good ones out there, but the arrow in the FedEx logo it made me poop my pants a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I hope one day I create something that iconic and um everlasting yeah it's pretty uh it's pretty impressive yeah. that, i think that would be an- well and there's that's the the wow moment right because yeah. i would say a lot of people don't see it to wipe off the wall after <laughs> <laughs> need to scoop up your brains with your jaw <laughs> yeah. yeah uh name a brand that you most want to work with mm. i i really like is uh a canadian brand actually steam whistle Oh really? Yeah, I think they do some really cool stuff. I like their, I like their motto too. You know, do some, do one thing really, really well. Yeah. Uh, yep. Something that's hard to do, hard to do these days is to just concentrate on one thing and do it really well. Yeah. And for like they've got a little mini bus. Oh, with the bus that holds the beer cans. Yeah. Oh man, it's yeah. impressive. <laughs> I've bought like three of them, <laughs> yeah. and I like Steam Whistle. I don't like it that much, but yeah. I buy a lot of it yeah. because the dessert. It's you know it's uh, it's easy to drink, but yeah, I. I <laughs> 
as much as I, I like the beer, I really like the brand too. And it's, uh, you get attached to something. So to me, the, the proof is in the pudding there. Like it works. Yeah. You know, great advertising and great design does work. Yeah. I was going to say that that's proof yeah. that sometimes presentation really does uh, affect how people perceive oh, what, sure. you, what you've made. Yeah. Even if what you've made is great, if it's got a crappy presentation, mm-hmm. no one will know about it. No one will know about yeah. it. And people can sell some pretty terrible things with, uh, a, fancy, with a fancy look to it. Yeah. It's true. Ho- hopefully, though, you know, you get to work with clients that have good on both sides. <laughs> yeah, you need to be able to sell yeah. a good product. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Totally. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Long thank overdue. you for helping sell our great product. Yeah. Oh, uh, it was more than a pleasure. And I'm, uh, uh, it was really fun to, to be here today, for sure. Cool. Uh, do you have a coffee mug? Uh, I do, but um, listening to the last episode, I don't have one that is stained uh, with your guys' signatures. So I stained would like is one. the correct word. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Tainted is tainted. the correct Sorry, word. Sorry, you're right. Tainted. We'll give you a taint mug for okay, sure. <laughs> awesome. I will uh, cherish it always. Uh, awesome. You've been listening to the Unknown Studio, episode 120. Our guest, Eldon Kimson. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening.